All right, guys here, coming back with another episode of Minor League News and Brews, doing the recap series. Last week was Indianapolis. This week is my favorite place other than PNC. Rolls off the tongue just as well. PNG Field. I only made it out there twice this year. I'm very, very disappointed in myself. Tried to make it out there for Skeen's debut, but I uh, couldn't. I uh, couldn't get my uh, my six year old son to go along with me. So I think we ended up maybe going to a park or something. But uh, bringing in John Moses. That's no H and at spelled with a Z from the Altoona Curve. John, how you doing, brother? Doing great, man. It's uh, it's always good to talk some curveball. Yeah, man. It's and it's crazy that. As quickly as the season started, it's now over. The you know major league playoffs are going on, and I'm actually just counting down the days until I get to go down to to Bradenton to Pirate City, and then come back out to Altoona. I just have like the greatest time. Those are my two favorite places to be, other than PNC Park. But definitely want to talk some Altoona Curve baseball. Not the type of season that, you know, us Curve fans were hoping for. Uh, 67 and 68, seven games back of the eventual Eastern League champion, the Erie Seawolves. Got to see them play not against the Curve, but actually in Erie. I looked at the stats for the Curve this year. A 689 OPS, the league average 721. The whip, everybody knows I go towards the whip, the 1.407 league average, just a little bit uh, lower than that at 1.363. But things weren't all bad for the curve because we saw a decent amount of of call-ups to not only Indianapolis, but also to Pittsburgh. We saw some you know, pretty big uh, prospects come up to Altoona, but John, just what is your general overview on like what the mood was for this entire season? Cause obviously the goal is to win the championship and it, it just didn't work out for the curve this year. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I sort of look at it in the context of individual player growth a lot more where, you know, three guys in Altoona's starting lineup finished the year in the big leagues, Kyle Nicholas, Leo Piguero and Henry Davis. And I think that that's sort of a player development win on its own. You know, I think if the question is, would you rather the curve go 74 and 67 and finish one game out of the playoffs or, or make the playoffs, <laughs> or would you rather three guys in the opening day lineup, you know, contribute to the major league roster in Henry Davis's case by like late June. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't really register disappointment about the way the season played out. You know, I think the club, you know, changed pretty dramatically between, say, week nine or ten of the season in early June, mid-June, when Henry Davis went to AAA, and then the next week Jared Jones and Travis McGregor and Kyle Nicholas all went. You know, Josh Palacios was there, Domingo Leba, like those guys were on, you know. Um, there was a very – it was a much different team – April, May, June, then July, August, September. Um, so I think that's why sort of I you, you kind of look at the season long numbers and I just sort of shrug my shoulders at it because I'm not <laughs> sure. Much, right. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's just I mean, I know that I, I talk about uh, the minor leagues because the minor leagues have, you know, prospect fans, but then they also have fans of like the individual teams. There's guys, I always mention the guy I run, I, I got to get his name next time I see him, but he's actually a Milwaukee Brewers fan for the major leagues. 
but his my he's he lives in Altoona and he is a diehard curve fan and I've seen him at every single game that I've went to. So there's just like that thing where like you want to see your teams, you know, start to win and stack championships, you know, from top to bottom, but it's not the be all to end all like you said if you have guys like if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year, like I didn't see Jared Jones being promoted as quickly as he was. We yeah. thought we were going to see maybe Henry Davis spend a little bit more time um, in Altoona. And, you know, they were having him and Andy do like the catching duties at different places and stuff. But I mean, you couldn't deny w- what he was doing with the bat. And the guy that like, I think that he really needed to make this leap at some point in time. And it's somebody we brought up, uh, in when we did the, the uh, preview for the season. And, and that was, that was Pagaro um, because Pagaro has, you know, this has been on the 40 man for a couple years and we really needed to see something from him. Yeah. I know that a lot of people look at his overall numbers in Altoona and say, you know, okay, he batted 260, he, you know, on base percentage, 333 slugging 453, did see a little bit more of that that power with the, the 11 home runs. But for me, I looked and it was like 18.2% K rate, 10% walk rate, and just didn't have like that up and down season to me that he had um, last year where it was almost a tale of two seasons. It may not – I think a lot of people are kind of, okay, we want to see a guy hit like 300 and – you know, tear the cover off the ball, but there's sure. some boxes that, you know, kind of need to be checked. But I was, I was glad to see Pagaro, you know, start to take some of those steps. Oh, me too, man. Um, there was like probably a four week period where I'd come into work every day and I'd say to myself, I wonder if today's the day Leo Pagaro is getting promoted triple A. Like we saw him at his best the last seven, eight weeks he was in Altoona. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, John Baker put it really, really on the money when he was in town for Paul Skeen's day in August, you know, I asked him about who are some of the players you're most proud of their growth this year. And the first name that came out was Leover Piguero for the way he bumped his walk rate this year. Um, you know, his biggest thing, because he put, when he puts his bat on the ball, he hits the ball hard, pretty consistently. It's just, you know, he, he just, he didn't, wasn't seeing as many strikes because he was willing to expand the strike zone, you know, the second half of the year, in 2022 and you know even the first couple weeks this season in 2023 you know it was sort of like okay he's willing to expand the strike zone early in the count so he sees less quality pitches um but then at some point in like early may he just started walking like crazy like he started to go one for three with a walk every night um and you know at that point pitchers were starting to realize that like they needed to throw strikes to him to get him out um, and he was just taking advantage of it because he can hit anything in the zone. Um, and, and he got better defensively, like just a really impressive year. And like, I don't know if you've ever gotten a chance to like see him interviewed or talk to him. He is <laughs> such a great character. I think, you know, I think he's a really, he's got a great set of, set of, uh, of you know, he's got a great set of like instincts about life. And um, he's just a really funny person, loves music, like very outgoing, great to be around. He's so much fun. Yeah. Cause I think that, uh, the justice de los Santos from MLB.com did like a story on him that he learned to speak English better yeah. from like listening to music and stuff. And when he got called up, like he wanted to like surprise some of the guys that were at the clubhouse and everything. He just seems to be a guy that 
like you said, just enjoys life, enjoys the game. And you did mention the defense, which was something that, you know, a lot of people, I mean, they just look at, they do like that. Uh, I guess it would be like the box score watching and they see the errors and they see the different things. And they're like, well, it looks like he makes a ton of errors and different stuff like that. Number one, I mean, it's, you know, in the, in the lower minors, some of the field conditions, and then also, you know, the players that you're playing with, you know, but once you get to the major leagues and you see guys, you know, make some plays, you know, especially like he got going into the hole, doing different things that you could see him, you know, definitely better at second base, but he's not completely out of his element at shortstop, which was what a lot of people thought going into this year. Yeah. um, Look, the biggest thing defensively for an infielder is you have to make the routine play. And I think that was, you know, sort of Leover's like Achilles heel when he was playing in Altoona in 2022 is that, you know, he'd make a terrific running grab into the outfield or he'd show you, you know, the, the plus arm with a play going into the hole. Um, but sometimes balls hit right at him would, you know, result in an error. And you just can't have that, right? If you're going to play infield defense in the big leagues, like if the ball's hit to you or within a two or three step range, play's got to be made. No questions about it. Um, and this is something that, you know, I talked to quite a bit with Gary Green, who's a longtime minor league instructor in the Pirates system. He was the infield coordinator for many years. Terrific player in Pittsburgh, right? back in the day um and those guys were working at it every day uh, you know the and that's one thing that i that i really loved about working in altoona this year was every day i came out or like looked out on the field when we're home at 2 15 in the afternoon you know those guys early work before bp like gary green's out there every day with leover piguero with jackson glenn with sung che chang like every day giving them ground balls working on specialty situations. Maybe there was something in the game from last night they wanted to go over, but it was every day those guys were out there. And I think for Leover, that really paid off, you know, getting that hands-on instruction every single day, not taking a day off from this stuff. And, you know, I think that that's probably the biggest difference, right? That like you can see him defensively now when the ball's hit to him, you feel good about it. And, you know, I think that's different than where we were at, you know, at the beginning of 2022. Yeah, definitely leaps and bounds. And even at the the major league level, they saw a need to have more of the infield instruction like that. They have Mendy Lopez up there working with some of the guys right now. So, I mean, I think that like as everybody's saying like where we're at in this rebuild, I think that Ben Sherrington and John Baker have looked to see where there could be possible deficiencies you know, within the minor league instruction. And then they've put different things in there to kind of help guys. And it's kind of in my mind coming together. I know a lot of people call me like the eternal optimist or whatever it would be with that type of stuff, or, you know, a lot worse names than, than that, because you know people aren't happy with losing, but I definitely see where, and talking with you guys and talking with Jack, like we did last week, that you find out these things that are happening at the minor league level to help these players with development. Now, when we talked last time, uh, we talked about the the jump that happens from like the the high A to double A, and and that's like one of the bigger jumps, you know, within definitely within the minor league system. The major leagues, I mean, just getting from triple A to the majors, guys will say that's type of stuff. But we've seen, and I get worried at times because you'll see like a guy like Matt Frazier, you know, tear it up in Greensboro, come up you know, hit a little bit in his like early stint in Altoona, but then when he gets the full season, 
you know, kind of fell back a little bit, was looking for a bounce back year from him, didn't really see that and start to get worried. Uh, Matt Gorski is a guy um, I pointed out in, in one of my earlier shows. I, I I don't know. It looked like he took like a step back in like every aspect of statistical stuff. But this is also a year that, you know, he didn't have that break from injury. And it's it's really his fu- first full year at double A. But people worry about that. And I know I'm going to mispronounce his name, even though you just said it and you told me how to pronounce it. And I should have written it like phonetically or something. Chung Shi Shang. I say it right <laughs> now. <laughs> what do they call him? Big Z? I'm going to call him Big Z. Yeah, they call him Z in the clubhouse, but it's okay. Chung Che Chang. Chung Sung Che Chang. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like you sung a song, Sung Che Chang. Sung Che Chang. Okay, I appreciate that, John. Yeah. I, I guess I, I'm getting there. It was better than I probably my first attempts, and I probably screwed up because I was going to try to do better. But the same thing we were talking like before the show that just like a little bit that you no, know, he was doing well in Greensboro, and not and not all of it was because of you know the friendliness of you know the parks that they play at or the parks that they play at. But when he jumped up, there was like, I just had like a, oh my God, like, but then we saw him kind of start to develop into the player that we thought, or the prospect we thought he was going to be, you know, in the rest of his time in Altoona. Yeah. I think just from like a hitting perspective, the, it's such a dramatic difference between the quality of pitching you get at high A and the quality of pitching you get at double A. Um, just because, you know, I think it more, more often at double A, you get guys that can consistently land breaking balls for strikes. And, you know, that changes the calculus for a batter when you're at the plate, right? Because, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, you know, for all this stuff we talk about, the game comes down to who can throw the fastball the best and who can hit the fastball the best. I think that's just sort of, you know, you watch the playoffs. I think that's sort of where the, the 50, 50 mark is in the game. So, The calculus is different, however, when you start to play professional baseball and guys don't consistently land their breaking ball for strikes at low A or at high A. And that's probably a benchmark for a guy to get promoted to double A is can he do this consistently, land off speed or land the change up to the, you know, in the strike zone in addition to the fastball. Um, So I think that that adjustment is probably pretty significant for hitters, Um, you know, all of a sudden knowing that there's going to be more than one pitch in the zone consistently for strikes. And you have to be on time for the fastball because that's, you know, the, usually the pitch that you have the most success against <clears throat> and the highest likelihood of doing damage. Um, but if somebody's landing a good slider for strikes on the outer half to a right hand, you know, you as a right hand batter, like that's some that's something you haven't seen consistently before in your life. So, you know, right. So you have to, you know, sort of get adjusted, you know, okay, how do I attack pitchers at this level that have this skill that I have never played against before? So I think that that's like that, you know, that's probably why that's one reason I've sort of figured out why is why hitters, you know, tend to say that the jump is so significant. Um, And, you know, that's why you sort of have to give these guys runway, you know, you you can't make a decision on a player through 25 games at double a, um, you know, you, you have to give them a couple hundred at bats to actually get a determination. Um, you know, if they can cut it at this level and if they're going to continue advance and, you know, have the 
ability to make adjustments, you know, to things they've never seen before as a hitter. Um, so it's, in, yeah, it's, it's really a dramatic jump. I think that is correct. Um, but it's just hard, man. Like it's so hard to hit a baseball, you know? <laughs> it's like, I mean, they say it's the hardest thing to do in life. And, and I definitely don't doubt it. And especially with, you know, some of the, the skill sets that the, the pitchers are adding and the different pitch mixes and the spins and just ridiculous pitches that you're seeing, especially as you move, like you said, up through the system, you're seeing stuff that you've never seen in your entire life. And you're like, I thought I knew how to play baseball. And now it's just like, I have to like relearn, you know, some of that stuff. And it is a very dramatic jump. And for, and it's, I mean, I've been watching minor league baseball forever and, I mean, I went. I was going out to Altoona when I was in high school, and that was. We're not going to talk about how many years ago that was, but um, no, it's it, you get, and that's the other part is, as somebody that watches prospects, you get attached to prospects, and it's just kind of explaining to some people that you know this may be like the highest level some of these guys reach if they can't get beyond, you know, a certain like skill set, or if they can't start to read you know, certain pitches. And as for a pitcher, if they can't, you know, hit it within the zone, but also, you know, have a whiff rate within the zone, there's like a lot of different things that need to happen. Uh, one guy that another like guy that I was surprised that made it to, you know, Altoona as soon as he did. And that's Anthony Solomito, MLB uh, prospect pitcher for the, the Pirates pitcher of the year within the system, 20 years old, like a kid like an absolute kid. So anything you look at within Altoona and, you know, the numbers will obviously take a step back as the competition goes up, but it didn't look like he shied away from the competition whatsoever. No. And, you know, first of all, he is not 20 years old, like from like an emotional <laughs> maturity perspective, I, he is wise well beyond his years. Um, you know, really down to earth guy, you know, he's got some purpose in life based on, you know, um, how his life has sort of played out. And like, I mean, I love covering that kid. He's so much fun to be around. He's super nice. Um, you know, we've got, we've got the go Eagles thing going on in common. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I'm a big fan of Anthony Solomito. I mean, just um, what a guy. Um, you know, I, I think he probably surprised a lot of Pirates people by getting to double A so quickly this year. I think you're probably right about that. Um, you know, 20 year olds in double A don't happen very often. Um, in fact, I was just doing this in my final game notes. You know, the Pirates are one of two organizations to have two guys pitch at double A at age 20 or younger this season. Um, the Diamondbacks had two guys that also got to their double A club at 20 or younger, but Solomito and Bubba Chandler together and Bubba turned 21, like a week after he made his double A <laughs> debut. So, you know, we can, we can sort of set that aside for a moment, but like Anthony threw 50 innings at double A, you know, third most by a guy, his age or younger, and he held his own. Um, you know, I think he probably got tired as the year wore on, right? Like, you know, the velocity was down a little bit, but he's still getting guys out because he can land his change up to both sides of the plate. He can command his fastball as, you know, as sort of like awkward and funky as his delivery is, you know, with that long arm action um, and that exaggerated step out, you know, he's pretty unique in that you don't see guys throw the ball like him consistently. 
Um, but he's our, but he's got fastball changeup to both sides of the plate for strikes now as a 20 year old. Um, so, you know, he's got the tools, he's going to get there. Uh, you know, he's got feel for the ability to spin the baseball. I think the sliders, you know, a little bit short in terms of, um, distance, you know, it's more of an East West pitch than a North South pitch. And, you know, I, I, I would like to see him add something sort of North South to give hitters a different look. Um, but, you know, when when he comes back strong next year and, you know, he's he's back into the typical velocity range he was at the beginning of the year, 92 to 96 miles an hour. I mean, that guy's going to be in the big leagues pretty quick. Like uh, that that kind of package looks pretty good. So um, he's a puppy and he's, <laughs> he's he's just in a really good place, man. He's he's so much fun. Yeah, and I talked about him previously and kind of told people like when they saw stuff go down at the end of the season, they saw him go on the developmental list. I was like, he didn't pitch that many, you know, innings in high school, his senior year. He, you know, didn't pitch you know, too many innings last year. And it's just like, it's that ramp up, like the, the pitchers need to build endurance. Like people think that a pitcher just goes out there and pitches 150 to 200 innings in a season like that doesn't happen and that's why i thought it was so good you know mitch keller as you know one of the the pitching leaders within the pirates clubhouse even pointing out that you know his goal for this year was 200 because he wanted to build you know towards the offseason because he realizes that maybe 200 was kind of like around his cap for this year because i mean you have to build up the strength in that arm you know solomito what we saw from him i I look at him, like you said, as as the pitcher he was through the first, you know, three quarters of the season, as opposed to the guy that you could say might have been getting a little bit fatigued, but that's to be expected. And once again, 20 years old. Jared Jones, another young pitcher. I mean, he's what was he? He was down in there. He was 22 this, I think it's 22 year old season. We've got a lot of young talent um on that pitching landscape. And then you throw Paul Skeens in the mix and you've got you know, four pretty like high ranking prospects that are all, you know, 23 years or younger going into next season. That's pretty exciting. I mean, you know, so the, you know, as you look sort of in the context of the rebuild, the initial wave was hitters, right? O'Neill Cruz and Henry Davis and uh, Leover Piguero. But it feels like this next wave is pitching Paul Skeens, Bubba Chandler, Solomito, Mike Burroughs, um, you know, he's going to be coming back from Tommy John, like, there's um there's a lot of pretty good pitching coming. You know, we you and I haven't mentioned Braxton Ashcraft, but he's another guy <laughs> with the type of elite stuff that's that's going to get there and you know, he was off of Tommy John this year, so he got to about 52 53 innings like he'll probably be on a pitch count next year, like he'll probably have a hard cap of innings, but you know, I it wouldn't be that crazy to me if Braxton Ashcraft made a couple starts in the big leagues in 2024, like the stuff is that good. Um so yeah, like this this wave of pit of prospects for the Pirates is pitching. Um, and for me, like I, I I love to watch pitchers. I really like sort of geek out on it. So it's it's really it's really fun in Altoona that you know the opening day rotation for 2024 could be Paul Skeens, Bubba Chandler, Anthony Solomito, Braxton Ashcraft, and then Sean Sullivan. <laughs> uh, like. <laughs> You know, that's that's like a pretty that's a pretty electric group and, and a group that really gives you a chance to win every day at double A and probably at triple A too in a year. So um it's really it's it's pretty cool, man. Like they, they it feels like they've figured out a, a nice group, a nice crop of guys. And, you know, some of those guys are definitely going to pay off. 
Yeah. And like uh, they're saying from the, the major leagues down is, you know, you just kind of just have to stack pitching on top of pitching on top of pitching on top of pitching, because with just like injuries, setbacks, you know, whatever it may be, you don't wish that upon anybody, but unfortunately, you know, that that's definitely going to happen. And, and you kind of took the next question out of my mouth because you mentioned Ashcraft and I was going to say, you know, who are some guys that maybe kind of slid under the radar in Altoona uh, with, uh, you know, the top prospects that were there, the people that were getting promoted, everybody was focusing on, you know, Henry and, and different stuff at the beginning of the season, focusing on, you know, maybe like a Jace Bowen getting promoted towards the end of the season. Is there anybody else that you think uh, before we get out of here today that you can think of that maybe just like not a, not enough people have heard about from um, Altoona this season? Sean Sullivan. Um, you know, this is a guy that, is committed to pitch to contact. So he's not going to end up on big, sexy profile, you know, playlists, you know, he's not going to be on prospect lists because he's 89 to 92. Um, but he's got multiple pitches to both sides of the plate for strikes. He's got sort of the big sweeping slider, you know, that sweeper that, you know, we, we hear a lot about in today's game. Um, but he's got feel for a cut fastball that he's going to throw to both sides of the plate. And it's a good changeup. You know, he, he gets left-hand batters on that pretty quickly. So, like, um, he's a guy that I think is going to pitch in the big leagues for a while um, because he's not trying to do too much. He knows who he is, and, you know, he's got a really good feel for the strike zone. He doesn't walk guys, throws a lot of strikes. Um, you know, I think Jace Bowen is somebody else that, you know, you're going to want to be aware of for next year. I mean, he he's coming off a 2020 season. You know, those don't happen very often. Um, you know, combination of power and speed. Um, he's going to strike out a little bit. I think that's just sort of the nature of, of his game. But I think he's got a chance to play center field. And, you know, guys that can hit 20 home runs and play center field defensively are guys that you're going to keep around and, um, you know, probably have a big league impact at some point. Um, been a big fan of Braxton Ashcraft. I mean, started to talk about him a minute ago. But, like, Ashcraft's 95 to 98 with two good distinct breaking balls and feel for a changeup. Like, that right there is tools enough to be an effective reliever. Um, but I think, you know, once he gets the full year here coming out, he's probably, you know, it'll be a full go for 2024, probably to like 120 innings. Um, and if you let him go five, six, like he's got the tools to turn a lineup three times. Developing starters is, is extremely difficult, but I think he's already got the tools for it now. It's just about how consistently can he do it? You know, can he do it for, can he show us that for six innings, seven innings, and and then do it for three months in a row? Um, you know, I think that's the question mark for him going into next year. But he's a guy that I think could, like, blitz onto the big league scene pretty quickly, um, you know, once people realize he's healthy. Yeah, all good stuff, man. And great having you on here again. Uh, people that don't, uh, go follow John Moses once again. That's John without the H and at spelled with a Z on x or i still slip and call it twitter sometimes twitter. Stop. absolutely twitter. yeah it's twitter and i uh, if you haven't anybody you can see behind me here beautiful png field it's it's one of my favorite places to spend a an afternoon and evening whatever it would be john good talking with you brother can't wait to have curve baseball back again in the spring me too my man and next time you come out to altino let's make sure we get you some of that pizza 
Oh, absolutely. I I actually have never tried. I usually get a curve burger, man. But oh, I'll, yeah, try that's good. I'll try the pizza. I'll try it. We'll get you a slice of pizza on the way to the game and just have uh, one so you can still get that curve burger. <laughs> that sounds good, brother. Have a good one. Thanks. All right, guys. It's time for those beer reviews. I got five for you here today. I was going to only have four, but I picked up a specialty one. I hadn't seen it before. I don't know when it came out. I'm not as uh, as much of an aficionado as I once was. It's the fake slide. I don't know if you can see it there. Uh, from Southern Tier, the ode to uh, to Kenny Pickett. Not a Pitt fan myself, but I am a Kenny Pickett fan now as a Steelers fan. This one is the fake slide Pilsner from Southern Tier, 5.5%. Coming in at a 400, knock that down to 350. Uh, the other one I sampled, I sampled the Harvest PA Hellas Lager from Pittsburgh Brewing Company. Yes, the people that bring you Iron City and Icy Light are dipping into the craft beer scene. This one's coming in at a 5.0. I give that one a 375, knock it down to 325. Going back to three Oktoberfest, I got the Shiner Oktoberfest, 5.7%. 375 knocked that down to 325 from Rheingast. Since he made, we've done uh, some from this brewery here before. They do the Franz Oktoberfest. This one's a little bit lighter. It comes in about 5.4%. Give that one a 350, knock it down to 300. And then I tried the local Yingling Oktoberfest. It's a smooth Oktoberfest. It might be good for people that are kind of trying to make their way into the craft beer scene or at least the Oktoberfest. It's definitely not as heavy. Given that one, a 350, knock it down to 300. Once again, thank you to the guest this week, John Moses. Edge John without an H at spelled with a Z on Twitter from the Altoona Curve. I. Uh, can't wait to get you guys down to Greensboro next week. Talk about some Greensboro Grasshoppers baseball.